The Man Who Owned the World by Frank Owen From Weird Tales, October 1923 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman The Man Who Owned the World by Frank Owen I met John Rust by chance one evening in a by-street near Greenwich Village. It was a miserable night, the air was extremely cold, and a choppy wind kept blowing against my face as though resentful of my presence. And now it commenced to rain, not sufficiently heavy to drive one from the street, yet disagreeable enough to make everything clammy and dismal. But, despite the dreariness of the night, I loitered for a moment before a jewelry store window, probably because I simply cannot pass a window containing gems or pottery or old vases without pausing a moment. There was nothing in the window worthy of recounting, just a heterogeneous assortment of cheap rings, bracelets, and gaudy beads, almost valueless. Nevertheless, I tarried, and then it was that someone grabbed me by the arm, and as I turned around, the jewelry window, the storm, the cold, all were forgotten, for I was gazing into the face of John Rust. He was so thin that the skin of his face seemed drawn over raw bones without any intervening layer of flesh. His face was absolutely colorless. Even his lips were blue-white. He had a straggly beard, yellow and vile-looking. Even without the enormous, shapeless mouth and toothless gums, the beard was sufficient to make the face repulsive. But it was the unnatural, fanatical light in his eyes which impressed itself most dearly on the screen of my memory. It was not human but a glow such as might appear in the eyes of a maniac or a wild animal. His costume seemed made up of stray bits from the clothes of all the tramps of earth, and yet he carried a cane and kept swinging it about jauntily, as though it were a thing of vast importance. "'You call those jewels?' he cried harshly in a voice made of falsetto now. "'Why!' Those are not even fit to be thrown to the swine which grovel in a thousand pens more than a mile from my castle. Come with me and I will show you gems more wondrous than the crown jewels at old Russia, more gorgeous than the collection of Cleopatra, and more luxurious than the famed necklace of Helen of Troy. After you see my jewels, you will laugh at what is obviously but a collection of baubles. On impulse of the moment, I said, I will go with you, but before we go, I suggest that we have a bite to eat. You look hungry. He shrugged his shoulders. This day, he cried, I have drunk three pearls melted in golden goblets of rarest wine. But if you wish to out, I will go with you. All the restaurants near here are mine. So we went to Mesimo's chop house and ate but what we ate I cannot recall. As we passed out, John Rust grew quite angry, because I paid the check. 
That was foolish, he stormed. For did I not tell you I owned the restaurant? Tonight I want you to be my guest. He led the way through a labyrinth of alleys and narrow streets. I live apart from the howling mobs, he told me, so that my sleep will not be disturbed. Each morning I am awakened by a lad as lovely as Narcissus, who plays an anthem of the sun on a harp wrought of gold and platinum, and set with a hundred and thirty-three pink diamonds. At the top of the harp is a single square blue diamond of forty carats, the finest in the world. It represents the morning star. The strings of the harp are the rays of the sun. The pink diamonds represent the individual kingdoms over which I reign. As he spoke, we came to a hole in the ground, a filthy, ancient cellar. I must confess that I had a twinge of terror as I followed John Rust down a flight of slippery stone steps, more treacherous and steep than the façade of Gibraltar. Something I know not what scampered across my feet and went screeching off into the blackness which engulfed us like the shadows in the tomb of recent death. I could hear John Rust fumbling about, and after an eternity of waiting, he struck a match and lighted a candle. As he did so, he cried, Behold my treasure chamber! By the dim light of the candle which made the silhouette of John Rust dance on the wall like the capering of a fiend, I glanced about me. The cellar was absolutely unfurnished, unless the cobwebs of a century could be classed as drapery. Down the stone steps the night rain dripped monotonously. Look, fairly shrieked John Rust, look at those diamonds, sapphires, carved jade, rare corals, tourmalines, emeralds, and glorious lapis lazuli. Has ever mortal man gazed on a finer collection than this? Here is more wealth than even Midas dreamed of. The Gakwar of Baroda, by comparison with me, is without jewels. The Dalai Lama of Tibet is a pauper when the light of my wealth shines upon him. All the treasures of Rome are insignificant when held parallel to mine. The Incas of Peru owned less than I divide in a single year among the poor. He clutched at the bits of ashes, coal, and pebbles which were filing through his fingers, the wealth which the gods had lavished on him so prodigiously. Tell me, he cried hoarsely, are your eyes not blinded by the brilliance of my stones? My surprise at what you tell me is acute, I declared truthfully. I can scarcely find words to express my thoughts. Don't try, said John Rust grandly. The greatest rhetoricians the world has ever known have never invented words even to suggest their true magnificence. Nor is this treasure all I possess. I own the world. Every castle of Rome or Venice is mine every pasture of england every moor of scotland every city in america i own come he ended abruptly come with me and i will show you my private bath 
a pool such as mark anthony or the mighty caesar never dreamed of it must be confessed that i sighed with relief as he led the way up the worn stone steps again it was good to be out in the open air once more even though it was raining as heavily as when noah set sail john rust led the way back in washington square to a fountain in the center of the park this he explained is my bath shaded by myrtle trees and palms and in the heart of a grove where ten thousand songbirds sing among the seven wonders of the world is nothing to equal this i am better than monte cristo for whereas he only boasts when he exclaimed the world is mine i can prove my claim to it during the days that follow i met john rust several times and although i cannot say that he remembered me he nevertheless talked to me which is really all he desired he believed that all the people in the great city were his slaves and this misconception was the direct cause of his undoing while his eccentricities flowed in a harmless channel he was unmolested but one day he struck one of his subjects with his scepter the scepter was a strong oak cudgel and the subject in question was a huge stalwart iceman who strenuously objected to being disciplined he raised such a din that two policemen were necessary to quell his personal riot after chaos had ended the iceman continued on his rounds but john rust was detained until the police patrol arrived he believed it was a chariot of gold and that the crowd gathered around had come to envy caesar and so he climbed in as majestically as though he were about to proceed to the Colosseum as the supreme guest of the populace on a fete day in the course of weeks a great brain specialist because he was interested in the case examined john rust and asserted that he could successfully normalize by a simple operation he went on to explain about the pressure of the bone on some vital spot in the brain the removal of which would ensure the return of rationality the operation was successfully performed and eventually john rust was turned out of the hospital a withered broken old man entirely cured he went back in his cellar the first thing he intended doing was to sell his jewels and deposit the money in a reliable bank for he still retained the memory of his jewels although the hallucination that he owned the world was entirely blotted out of his memory so he returned to his cellar only to find heaps of worthless stones and ashes he shrieked in his anguish he had been robbed of all his jewels for a moment it seemed doubtful that his new-found sanity could stand the surging flood of his ravings all his enormous wealth had vanished like the essence of a dream now life contained nothing for him he had neither relatives nor friends he had lived in his dungeon for more than ten years 
no one knew from whence he had come for hours he sat perhaps even days moaning and wailing as awful as any woman for a lost child months later they found him dead one morning in his cellar lying face down in the ashes he had died of grief in abject poverty this man who had once owned the world and had ten million slaves the end of the man who owned the world by frank owen